Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you this morning, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read again this portion of Scripture that we're entrenched in for the next several weeks, the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, and as you're finding your way there, would you follow along as I read verses 1 through 17. Exodus 20, 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Father, as we come to you, we pray, God, that you would enlighten our minds and our hearts to the truth of your word. Father, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give us understanding into the great truths of your word. Father, we thank you for these commandments that you have given to your people to follow and to live by, to obey, that we may as we obey them, give you greater glory and proclaim you to the world around us. Father, this morning I pray that we would all come to understand the first commandment in a greater way, that you would help us to apply it to our lives. I pray, God, that your spirit would be working in a way that would help every person in here understand its application to their specific situation. Father, I pray that as your word is proclaimed here and in a great many places around the world, I pray that the sinner would be humbled to repentance and salvation. I pray that the holiness of your people will be promoted, and I pray that Christ the Savior would be exalted. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I could think of no other title for the sermon today than the simple three words found in verse 3, no other gods. We find ourselves this morning in 
what, seven simple words. You shall have no other gods before me. That might be eight words. I didn't count them beforehand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There you go, eight words. We're just going to spend our time on those eight words today. You shall have no other gods before me. It is my hope today that through the preaching of God's word, false gods will be exposed in our lives. Everyone said, wait a second, we're Christians. Yes, I know. And Christians are warned adamantly throughout Scripture to guard against false gods that would creep in. So it is my prayer that through the preaching of today's word, false gods would be exposed and that we would gain a greater understanding for the words, no other gods before me. It's amusing to me that the Lord would call me to preach this commandment and expound these words, you shall have no other gods before me, on this February Lord's Day, just another Sunday, where in our American culture, there is a lot of worship happening. Known to many today simply as Super Bowl Sunday. I do not mean by any means to condemn football, fans, Super Bowls, parties, none of it. I hope you all have a great time in whatever way you observe this greatest of American traditions. I would be wrong if I told you that you are in sin to enjoy football or the Super Bowl. I would be wrong to do that. However, I would also be wrong to point out that it's a very true reality that it could become a god and it could become a false one and you may not recognize it. We should not be so naive to the fact that in many churches across our lands today, men who may be standing in positions similar to mine and who should be declaring divine truth are much more likely to be wearing Super Bowl jerseys of their favorite teams and players and talking to the culture about the culture instead of opening God's word and declaring divine truth for those that are gathered and listening. And so I've said all I will say today about the Super Bowl. I realize that many of you here may not be sports fans, and the Super Bowl being today may be absolutely inconsequential to you. That's okay. God will expose whatever false gods you have too. The first commandment in its context, we have to consider first, before we understand it in our own lives, we have to consider first the original audience and the human writer. So we're talking about Moses and the children of Israel. Moses was raised as an Egyptian. The Bible says he was mighty in word and deed. The Bible says that he was raised in the house of Pharaoh's daughter, skilled in their language, skilled in their customs, skilled in their religion. He knew their gods until he was 40 years old, and he abandoned that. So for the first 40 years of his life, and how many of us in the room can understand that by age 40, you're set in your ways? He's 40 years old when he shuns the life of the Egyptians and goes out to see his people. And this is when he sees the, the two Egyptians and the Hebrews, and he sees the Egyptian beating the Hebrew, and he kills the Egyptian. Then he sees the two he he Hebrews quarreling, and he intervenes, and will you kill us too? And then he flees. He's gone at 40 years old, off into the wilderness to meet with God. He was raised knowing their culture, understanding. Now, that's Moses. He spent 40 years there. 
Now we have to think about the first commandment from the context of the Israelites, who were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. 400 years immersed in a culture that had, I'm going to use a big word, had a pantheon of gods. Simple definition, many, many gods. They were a polytheistic culture. That means they worshipped many gods. They did not just have one. If we were going to understand this, our easiest way and most nearest way to understand this, it would be that of Native American culture for us, where everything is a separate god, and they have many gods that they worship. In Egypt, ancient Egypt, they worshiped many gods. We should understand and consider that in the ten plagues that come on Egypt at the hand of God, who is destroying a wicked people, Every plague that falls from his hand on the people of Egypt and specifically Pharaoh confronts a God that they have. Every plague. And so you can understand better than you even realize how living in a culture where many gods are worshipped can wear on you. How as you live your life in a culture where anything and everything and even the ruler of the land is a god to the people, you can understand how over a period of 400 years, that would start to even creep in as an influence on your life. As the Egyptians around them worship every god they could the Israelites standing by. Now I want you to think, oh, there is so much of us in the, in the Israelites in Egypt. I want you to find yourself. Now I want you to think about a people who are where they do not want to be because that's where the Israelites are. They do not want to be there. And what do they do? They begin calling out for help. Who will save us? Who will rescue us? How long, O oh Lord, are we to be left here? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget us? This is the language of the Hebrew people. And you can imagine, as many gods are worshipped around you, and as you know of a god from your family's past, but fail to see him doing anything about your situation how you may be tempted to then look to the other gods for some form of satisfaction in your life. The Lord God wanted his people to know that there was to be no other God before him for them. How quickly could we have turned from a God who redeems, delivers, and dwells with his people to serve the false gods around us if we are ancient Israel? How quickly could we have seen the magicians doing what Moses had done, saying, well, I'm not sure that this God of, of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm not so sure he's real as I see these magicians doing the same things that these men are doing. And how often do we see in our own culture things that parallel God but are completely empty and meaningless? God wanted his people to know as they come out of 
Egypt. They are now across the Red Sea. They are before the mountain. And God is declaring to him his commandments. These are my rules. We, we could very easily read this. Thus saith the Lord, do these things, or don't do some of them. God is declaring to his people, you're not going to be like the people around you. You, my people, are going to be different than the world in which you live. You're going to worship differently. You're only going to have one God, and it's going to be me. How often throughout scriptures does God say, I will be their God, and they will be my people? God has delivered a people. He has redeemed a people. He is preparing a people for his dwelling among them. And he says of the very first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Everyone has a God. Everyone worships something. This verse, eight words, you shall have no other gods before me, has in it a preposition and two nouns. I'm going to explain this. Everyone that knows me knows that I am not the biggest language person. Grammar is not my favorite subject. I didn't pass it with flying colors. But words and the way they're used are extremely important. A preposition, you, that's the direction in which the commandment is aimed. God speaking to his people says, you, my people that I have delivered and redeemed and am going to dwell with, you. Not the Egyptians, not the Canaanites into whose land they would be going, you, my people. A preposition, the direction in which the commandment is aimed, which is to all of God's people throughout all of time. We examined last week. The Ten Commandments still apply. We are not void of following these. Those with faith in the promise of God prior to Christ, all of the Old Testament, and those with faith in Christ after his coming. I used the phrase last week. Well, I'm... I'm under grace, I'm not under law. The reality is, and we need to understand this, the only man who lived under law was Adam. Every person after the fall has come to God by grace. So we can look at the Old Testament and say, well, we don't worship like them, we're not under law. You need to understand, the way they worshiped was the law, they were under grace. God has always saved God has always delivered, redeemed, and dwelled with a people that he has saved by his amazing grace. The Israelites were not saved through their obedience to the law. They obeyed the law as they waited for God to fulfill his promise to them. There is a Messiah. There is enmity. There will be a deliverer. We will be saved. They waited for God to fulfill his promise. The preposition you, directed in the direction in which the commandment is aimed to God's people throughout all of time, those with faith in the promise of God to come prior to Christ, those with faith in Christ after his life, death, and resurrection. You, 
and then two nouns, God's and me. You shall have no other gods before me. The Hebrew word for gods in verse 3, indeed actually for God throughout almost all of the scripture, the Hebrew word is the word Elohim. And I'm not a scholar in Greek or Hebrew, but there are apps that tell me how to pronounce them. This one's easy. Elohim. Elohim is a word that simply means powers, but it carries with it many uses, including, and I would encourage the note takers to write these down, including rulers, judges, angels, God-likeness, and one note found in the scriptural usage of the word Elohim is the works or special possessions of the one true God. Elohim is a Hebrew word that isn't necessarily only attached to the Lord God of heaven, okay? Now that we have, this is very important and critical for our understanding of the Ten Commandments, in fact, even of all of biblical theology. Not an unfamiliar term to us, is it? If I were to ask you, what, what, is, what is a God? Could you define God? And I'm going to give us a simple working definition for it. Any being, spirit, object to be worshipped. We would probably come up with that. I would think that our collective would probably come up with a God is something that is worshipped. All people have a God. Everyone is worshipping something. Whether it is themselves or others around them, whether it is your occupation, whether it is your recreation, whether it is your health or your finance, or simply being liked by people around you, or it's a sports team. Everyone has a God. And God says to his people, you shall have no other God before me. And as we start to understand what God means, power, ruler, judge, think about some of the gods that you've had to confront in your life. Think about gods that are needing to be confronted in the lives of others. Think about the powers, the rulers, the judges, the God-like things that the people of Israel were seeing as they lived among a pantheon of gods in Egypt. Think now about the pantheon of gods among which we live now. I mean, if we were to take a cross-section of people in the marketplace, I bet we wouldn't find a common god among them. It may be that the most common god among people of the world would be self. Indeed, God says to his people, if you would come after me, you must deny yourself. Self is a very powerful God, and I would wager, I know for myself, that many of us have fought the God of self. Gods, I pray today that you are worshiping the one true God. Gods, any object of worship, you, my people, God says, you shall have no other gods, no other power, no other ruler, but me, me, second noun in the verse, 
The word me here reminds us of the importance of last week's sermon, the prologue to the Ten Commandments. How many of you remember it off the top of your head? I am the... You can say it out loud, it's okay. I am the... This is weak church. This is the foundation for our following God. I am the Lord, your God. We must know it. We must know the Lord our God. Remember a few weeks ago, people were awestruck and terrified as God came down on the mountain. They were trembling and afraid and said, Moses, you speak to us, but let God not speak anymore. And today in 2024 America, we get, I am the Lord your God. Say it with me. I am the Lord your God. Now you do it. You must know God. You must have a holy fear of God in your life. He is holy, holy, holy. And to not know the Lord your God makes these commandments utterly irrelevant. You must know him. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. It is not good to consider any of the commandments without the contextual setting of I am the Lord your God. The word me calls our attention back to the words of God in verse 2. I am the Lord your God. God is the word. Elohim, power. The word Lord, I would challenge you, if you have God's word open in front of you, and I hope that you do, Look at your translation, and I would be willing to say that most, if not every single English translation represented in this room, all the ones that I could look into, have LORD in all capitals, maybe O-R-D is slightly smaller than the L. You can look, L-O-R-D, all capitals. And somebody's probably wondered, why is that? I'd like you to know, if you read the preface to your Bible or preface, however you want to say it, you would know. You would know why Bible translators put that word in there like that. And here's the reason. Lord is the name of God. When Charlie reads the scriptures to us, he uses a version, the Christian Standard Bible, often using Yahweh. This is foreign to us in America. We, we hear that and we're like, ooh, should we say that? What are, we, are we dabbling into Jewish culture here? What are we doing to say the name Yahweh? God says from his mouth, my name is Yahweh, also translated Jehovah. Jews won't even say it out loud. True Jews worshiping the God of heaven, rightly or wrongly, will not say the name of God. That's the power of the gospel to you and I. We know him by name. Yahweh. I am the Lord, Lord, all capitalized. You're seeing the proper name of God. This is why languages are so important. And some people are saying, Pastor, you're such a nerd. Why do you do this? I'm so exhausted with all the original language stuff. Listen to me. God spoke his word and man wrote it. In the original language, God's word is entirely infallible. 
It is completely inerrant, and it is wholly inspired by him. Those words, infallible, inerrant, inspired, you should know them because the culture hates those words. Inerrant, it is free of error. Infallible, it will not change. There is no lie found in God and inspired. It comes from his mouth. And so when we see Yahweh, every person on the face of planet earth knows God's name. I am Yahweh. This is important, and I have to set this now because we're going to encounter it a lot through the Ten Commandments and even further into Exodus. Yahweh, or Jehovah, it means the existing one. Oh, how powerful. I am God, the existing one. Wrapped up into that is the thought of everlasting, eternal, self-sufficient, self-reliant, in need of nothing, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, holy, righteous, sovereign, majestic. I am the existing one. Now, if we put them together, Yahweh and Elohim, if we understand in our English language, I am the existing one, your power. I'm the one that always has existed. I'm the one that always will exist. Your power. God's personal name. Everyone has a God. But Yahweh tells his people, I am your God. You shall have no other. You shall have no other gods. An interesting commandment, and some probably thought, Pastor, this is such a straightforward verse. You shall have no other gods before me. Are you going to talk for an hour on eight words? I don't know yet. We'll find out when I'm done. You shall have no other gods. Why? Because there are none. We need to understand the first commandment in this light. God's people will have one God, Yahweh, one It's not that you can go and find another. It's that there are no other gods. And God's people will have only him as their God. The Bible is the progressive revealing. Those are fancy words that means made known more over time. The progressive revealing of the glory of not just a God, but the God who is unrivaled in every single way. The Bible is the progressive revealing, the making of himself known more over time of the God of heaven. Yet in our sin-weakened state, we displace him as Yahweh, Elohim, for the most trivial, pathetic excuses for God's that we can find. Here is a sample across the scripture, both Old and New Testament, of some, just some, of what God says of himself as God and of other gods. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God taught Moses that line, and it is still to this day among Orthodox Jews repeated. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If we were to read those words straight from Hebrew into English, and this is a little significant, so I'm sharing it. If we were to read that straight from the Hebrew language into our English language, it would simply be, Hear, Israel, Lord God, Lord one. This was to focus them on the fact that there is only one God before them. The Lord God, the Lord is one God. People will debate Christianity on the point that we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Muslims will say, you're polytheists. We believe in one God, you believe in many. The response to that is, oh no, we believe in one God who exists eternally in three persons. Knowing what you can know of the Trinity is extremely important. We believe in one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one God who has progressively revealed himself to man over time as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All equally God. All equal in divine substance, yet distinct in what they do. One God. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39, God says to Moses, these words, I love them, they could be no clearer. There is no God besides me. Okay, Lord. Like, can you imagine Moses? He's like, I know. And God's like, go tell my people that. They're not convinced yet. In fact, Moses, when you leave here, it's going to become a train wreck for those people. In fact, what's that sound I hear? What's that sound down in the camp? Moses, you better go down there. They've already made a God. You're up here, I'm talking to you, and they're down there making another God already. I'm right here on the mountain. They were just trembling, and they're already making another God. We'll talk about that later. Isaiah, if you ever want to read declarations of who God is, Read Isaiah, specifically starting in chapter 40 through the end of the chapter, the end of the book. Isaiah 43, 10 through 13, God saying, Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. I am he. Isaiah 44, 6, I am the first and I am the last. Pause. That's spoken in Isaiah chapter 44 and we read it three times in Revelation. Twice at the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. I am the first and I am the last. Isaiah 44, 6, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and set it before me. The very nature and character of God saying, produce your strong gods. Bring them. This is very, to me, very like the dialogue between Job and God at the end of the book of Job. Tell me, Job, surely you were there when I created everything, when I formed everything, when I made all things. Surely you were there. Surely you know. Tell me, Job. And what does Job say? Surely I spoke of things I did not know. I shut my mouth and I repent in dust and ashes. God's saying, who is like me? Let him proclaim it. In 2024, the same God who spoke these words is yet to be defied. Do you ever consider that as proof of your faith? He's yet to be defied in any way. 
He's still on the throne. We're still proclaiming his words. I'm reciting to you the first of 10 commandments that were spoken to Moses some 1,500 years before Jesus was born. I mean, are you kidding me? The same words. You shall have no other gods before me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and set it before me. Isaiah 45, 18. I am the Lord and there is no other. Now the New Testament. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus, this is so fascinating to me. I almost lost myself when I figured it out. Jesus repeats to the scribes and Pharisees and the people around in Mark chapter 12. Jesus repeats to them the words that were uttered from him. The word became flesh, eternally dwelling, eternally existing, the Word, the Son of God. Jesus declares the very words that were declared to Moses in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Hear, Israel, Lord, God, Lord, one. There is no other. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. There is no God but one. Ephesians 4, 1 Timothy 2, 5, there is one God. Ephesians 4, 6 goes on. There is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We could add, if we were to survey biblical students around the room, tell me your verse of who God is and how he is like no other. We could add to this list over and over because the Bible is God's progressive revelation of himself to man and he declares, I am the only God. So you see, you shall have no other gods before me has one very clear message. When God says that, he is saying, I am to be your only God. But the message that comes along with it is, there is no other. There is no other God that you can establish like me. There's no other God who will do what I have done. No other God who can deliver. No other God who will redeem. No other God who will dwell with you. This is what Moses and Israel learned. This is what Egypt and Pharaoh learned. There is none. Do you remember in the plagues when we examined them, the, the, the attendants to Pharaoh were like, this is the finger of God. Let them go, man. And Pharaoh hardened his heart, resisting. I'm God, Pharaoh says in his heart, and God humbled him. Everyone has a God but there is only one. The following commandments are going to deal with how we worship God. This one sets up who God is. Without the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, without knowing the prologue, I am the Lord your God who delivered you, who redeemed you, and who will dwell with you, the rest are all out of place and misaligned. We may think that some other God did what only God has done. We may be tempted in a culture immersed with multiple gods to worship something other than the Lord God. And so my question to you today is, is it truly Yahweh Elohim that is your God? Do you have only the God of heaven as God in your life? I've been in pastoral ministry for, I guess at this point, greater than 10 years, which is strange to say for me. 
I can't, I can't number the amounts of gods I've had to watch people work to dethrone in their life. From addictions? Oh, that's not a god, that's a sin. You want to bet? We're going to talk about idols next week. Addiction's a god. We serve it. That's why we can't break it, because it draws us in and lures us away from God and casts its, its Elohim power over you. It's a false god. It has no real power. I've watched people make very good things in life gods. I've watched marriages ripped apart because children become gods. I've watched children suffer because spouses are gods. You're like, well, well, pastor, I'm supposed to love it. Yes, you are, but you can easily put your spouse in the place of God and set up an idol. That's next week. You shall have no other God. There is only one. And so this morning, you may be asking, how do I set the Lord before me as my only God? It starts with your profession of faith. You'll notice that I said it starts. It begins with your profession of faith. That's the beginning of it. Have you been redeemed from sin, delivered by God through faith by his grace? The Bible says that Jesus has made God known so we can know God through Jesus. The Bible says that sin separated us from God, us and all of mankind, and that we stand condemned of sin before him because he is holy unlike any other God. The Bible says that Jesus died for our sins to absorb and appease the wrath of God that we deserved. The Bible says he rose again. That through belief in our heart that God raised him from the dead and through the confession of our mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. Have you been there? Because that's where setting God as your only God begins. Prior to that, you're wandering the wilderness aimless with no God before you. Or every God before you. That's how you begin to orient God as God. For those who have, you sit here and you say, Pastor, I've, I've done that. I, I feel very weak. I, I feel very strong. I feel confident. I'm not sure, but I, I have called on God to save me. That's a beginning. That's proof of the Spirit working within you because sinners in the world don't think about turning from sin and following Christ. For those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who have been redeemed, forgiven, Brought near, the Bible says, by the blood of Christ. That's what Jesus does for you. The Bible says you are fully justified from sin, past, present, and future. But now we're in a constant battle, aren't we? Now, the reason that pastors are wearing jerseys and talking about the culture to the culture is because we still fight sin. So we push out against it. I will obey what God says. The cares and the distractions of this world will always be present with us in this life. Some other God out of the idol factory, one ancient scholar said, out of the idol factory of your heart, some other God is seeking the place of Yahweh. And it is our responsibility to dethrone and remove them that there would be no other God before us but Yahweh. Everyone has a God, but there is only one. What God are you worshiping? What God is before you today? What God needs to be removed so that Yahweh can have his rightful place in your life? Let us pray. Our Father, we recognize how weak we are when we consider how great and mighty 
and powerful you are. Forgive us, God. We are in the wilderness and we have lived for a long time in a culture that worships many gods. And as we come to what cannot be touched, as we come to angels innumerable and festal gathering, as we come to the new city, Jerusalem, as we come to a better blood, the blood of our Savior, Jesus. Oh God, forgive us for having other gods before you. Oh God, strengthen us. Strengthen us to identify, not only to identify, but to acknowledge and to move out of our lives gods that are not you. Father, I pray, especially against false teaching and false religion and false gods, that they would have no place here, God. That your word, that your spirit would root those things out from us. May they not be named. But I pray also, Father, that the temptations in this life to serve things that are not God's, Father, that we would fight strong against that in obedience to you. And though it may feel at times as though we are losing that, that, that battle, I pray, God, that we would cling to what you have done for us in Jesus. That we would recognize that you have delivered us and redeemed us. You have rescued us and transferred us to your kingdom. You are conforming us to the image of your son who did not give in to the temptation of idols, nor did he even give in to the temptation to serve himself, but stood strong in his obedience to your word. Oh God, strengthen us in our obedience. Father, may we obey you because we recognize the great lengths that you have gone to in redeeming us. May we obey you because we have recognized how much you have loved us, and may we obey you, our God and Father, our Savior and King, because for what you have done, we have great affection for you. Father, I pray as we continue in the Ten Commandments in coming weeks, if it is your will that we gather again around your word, Father, I pray that we would understand further how all of your commandments still apply to us today and that we would follow you, our God, that we would love you with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength, and that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. God, you are good, you are highly exalted and worthy to be praised. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.